So again, as I mentioned last week, this isn't a political message. I don't know if you guys watched the news this week. There was a lot of things surrounding Israel, okay? And part of me wanted to go. I actually had some slides put together. I had, like, news clips of what was going on. And I'm just like, this stuff is always going on, but prophecy is being fulfilled right before our eyes, okay? And God's going to preserve Israel regardless of what we do or we don't do. If we fund their iron dome so they can protect themselves and, you know, try to bless them, you know, praise God, which we chose to do, but our progressive, loving government people, uh, <laughs> these like, hey, we're going to shut down our government if we don't, you know, bail on Israel if we don't stop this funding for the, I mean, this is where we're at as a nation. I mentioned last week, I think we're really blessed here in America because we stand with Israel. And praise God, they chose to keep it in there. We're continuing to bless Israel. Uh, So pray for Israel. That's what we did this morning. We went through Psalm 122 upstairs, that prayer. We're called to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, for Israel. So uh, something we get to do. Now, this morning, we're going to navigate really through what's happening um, in the Middle East, Israel specifically. Biblically, we want to have a biblical worldview when we consider this. In the last week, we looked at a few things for you guys who weren't here. I would really encourage you to take in the message from last week, Um, but we really looked at how we as believers, as Christians, should view Israel. We looked at the challenges to her existence. We looked at the possession of her land and her chances of survival. And again, do you guys know that five, six of the Bible, so most of the Bible deals with Israel and the Jewish people directly or indirectly. So much of God's word is about her. And you guys think about it, we should care about the things God cares about. So, That's why we're taking time to jump into this. And part of the reason we're going through this study right now is to really prep us as we get into Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11. Um, So there will be, as we saw, um, Israel's going to be, they are and always going to be. Deuteronomy 7, 6, you guys remember that they're God's chosen people. Jeremiah 31, 9, God's firstborn. And then we were told in Zechariah 2, 8, that Israel is the apple of God's eye. So our outline from last week, we looked at the purposes in Israel, or God's purposes in Israel, and then we also looked at God's promises to Israel. And this morning, as you guys can see up here, we're going to look at God's preservation okay, of Israel. And then next time, we're going to look at prophecies concerning Israel. Some people are like, well, I don't even believe in God, so who even cares about Israel? Do you guys know that God can tell the future? Okay. Do you know there's about 26 major books that are religious in the world, like main big faiths of the world? Do you guys know that the Bible is the only one that has fulfilled prophecy? And not just a few vague little things, very specific, hundreds, thousands actually have fulfilled prophecies to a T. Only God can do that. Okay. And so much of that prophecy actually comes around Israel. Do you know that God said he would regather her back into the land in the last days? Do you guys know that Israel is literally there today? Do you guys know that millions of Jews are returning to the homeland today? Just like God prophesied, well, that was thousands of years ago. (laughs) Isn't that cool? Because God is God, and he's faithful to his word. So next time is going to be awesome as we get into prophecy. Okay, I asked you to mark three spots. I lied. We need one more. Turn to Psalm 83 with me, please. We're going to read through this entire psalm. Why? Because it's so cool and it blessed me a lot this week, and you guys will be blessed by it too. Psalm 83. It says, Do not keep silent, O God, and do not hold your peace, and do not... Be still, O God, for behold, your enemies make atonement. And those who hate you, they've lifted up their heads and they've taken crafty counsel against your people. This is speaking about Israel. And they've consulted together against your sheltered ones, Israel. And they have said, come, let us cut them off from being a nation. Speaking about Israel, guys, that the name of Israel may be remembered no more. Do you guys know that this is still going on today? 
People want to utterly destroy her. Well, let's go on. Verse 5. They've consulted together with one consent. And from the confederacy, confederacy against you, the tents of Edom and the Ishlamites, Moab and the Hagrites, Jabal, Ammon, Amalek, Philistine, uh, the inhabitants of Tyre, Assyria. Also, they've joined with them and they have helped the children of Lot. Deal with them as with Midian, as with Sisera, as with Jabin in the brook Kishon, and they perish in Endor, who become a refuse to the earth, make their nobles like Oreb and like Zeb, yes, all their princes, Zeba and Zalmunna, who said, let us take for ourselves the pastures of God for our possession, for, for our possession. Oh my God, verse 13, it says, make them like a whirling dust, like the chaff before the wind, as the fire burns the woods, and as the flame sets the mountains on fire. So pursue them with your tempest, and frighten them with your storm. Fill their faces with shame, that they may seek your name, O Lord. Let them be confounded and dismayed forever. Yes, let them be put to shame and perish, and they may know that you, whose Name alone is the Lord, are the most high over all the earth. Isn't this so cool? This is just one psalm I happened to read this week, and I'm just like, I know what I'm teaching. It's just crazy all over the word of God, just how God links himself with Israel and that his name is going to be glorified with her and from her. Now, if you guys look up here, we're going to look at seven things together this morning. We're going to look at God's preservation of Israel, and there's a few reasons why. One of them, for the reason of uh, Israel's preservation, we're going to look into that. We're also going to look at the biblical promises concerning Israel's preservation. And then we're going to look at, this is my favorite part this morning, Old Testament. You guys know I love the Old Testament? You guys are like, you just like the Bible. It doesn't matter where you are, it's all good. It is all good. But the Old Testament is so cool because there's so many examples for you and I that we're going to read of Israel and God's blessing, okay, and preservation of her. And then we're going to look post-canon examples. We're going to look at 20th century examples concerning Israel, when and why Israel loses. And we're also going to look at why Israel can't lose. Does that sound kind of fun? I would say so. There's a lot here. So the first reason for the preservation, we need to remember, guys, that God chose Israel, that he might, you guys remember, bless all nations, prove himself faithful to teach other nations about himself, to be praised, and also to extend his salvation to the nations. Okay, so there is definitely a purpose and a reason why God chose Israel. Israel. And he chose her in order to accomplish his purposes in the world. So it is about him and about his promises. You might be like, why are we taking this time about Israel? Because it's really about him, his purposes, and his promises. So he made certain promises. We outlined a lot of that last week in our study. So to Israel, that would work these purposes that he brought them all about. So if he were to fail to make good on his promises, then his purposes would not be achieved, and he would prove himself to be an unfaithful God. But we look at Israel, and we're like, wow, God is faithful, isn't he, guys? And if he's faithful to his word, to his promises, then he's also going to be faithful to us, even when we're unfaithful. Because was Israel always faithful to God? No, they went whoring after other gods, didn't they? They fell into idolatry how many times over and over again, rebelled, and God was still faithful. I love it. He has not replaced Israel. That's bad theology. He is faithful to his word, guys. So look up here with me. Let's consider Ezekiel 36 once again in verse 22. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went. And I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst, and the nations shall know that I am the Lord. And the Lord God, or says the Lord God, when I hallowed, 
in you before their eyes. For I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all countries, and bring you into your own land. So the reason God has, okay, and does and will preserve Israel, protect her, is because he's doing it, he's really protecting, and he's preserving his great name. And he's showing the world that he makes good on his promises. So his name, okay, what does that all encompass? Well, it speaks to his character, right? If we buy into bad theology, replacement theology, we're going to taint the character of God. That's not good. He is faithful. He's a covenant-keeping God. Do you guys know that? That is our God, okay? Also, his reputation and really the totality of his being, okay? When we say, hey, we praise your mighty, your holy name, it's who he is completely. So the zeal, guys, which the Lord will do this is really pictured for us in Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 41. Yes, I will rejoice over them to do good, and I will assuredly plant them in the land with all my heart and with all my soul. Now this brings us to our second point this morning. The biblical promise concerning Israel's preservation. Again, you guys can jot down Genesis 12:3, And I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, what does he say he's going to do? I will curse. And we've seen this happen historically, guys. So the protection and the preservation are a part of that Abrahamic covenant. Now, the meaning of curse in this passage, if you look it up, okay, it literally means to stop or to impose a barrier, to ban or to paralyze. It also tells us it's to treat lightly or to make light of or to belittle or to make little. That's what curse means. So a curse in the Old Testament is much the same as judgment. So when God curses, he judges. Does that make sense? Okay, there's a judgment there for the curse to come. So Genesis 12, 3 then, guys, could be translated for you and I, the one who treats you lightly, Israel, okay, stops you to fulfill your calling or to make you little, I must judge, Okay. Do you guys get what he's saying there when he says, hey, those who curse you, I'm going to curse. So those who tried to curse Israel would find God doing the same to them, stopping them, imposing a barrier, paralyzing, making little. And this brings us to Obadiah 15 and 16. Look at this. It says, for the day of the Lord upon all nations is near. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your reprisal shall return upon your own head. For you drank on my holy mountain, so shall all the nations drink continually. Yes, they shall drink and swallow, and they shall be as though they had never been. Okay, that is God's prophetic word, and he's been faithful to his word. Which brings us now to my most exciting part of this morning for us. At least this is the part I enjoyed. Looking at Old Testament examples. So you guys can turn in your Bibles to Genesis with me. Chapter 20. You guys know that soon after God promised blessings and curses through Abraham, King Abimelech of Egypt unwittingly mishandled his wife. You guys remember Sarai? You guys remember when we went through this? Well, this is an example for us this morning. So let's take a look at Genesis 20 together. As a result, Abimelech's wife was threatened here, guys, and every woman in his household was cursed with infertility. Check this out, verse 1. And Abraham journeyed from there to the south and dwelt between Kadesh and Shur and stayed in Gerar. Now Abraham said to Sarah, his wife, She is my sister. Okay, and Abimelech said, or the king of Gerir sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream that night and said to him, Indeed, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. And Abimelech had not come near her. And he said, Lord, will you slay a righteous nation also? Did he not say to me, she is my sister? And she even, she herself said, 
He is my brother. In the integrity of my heart, in the innocence of my hands, I have done this. And God said to him in a dream, yes, I know that you did this in the integrity of your heart, for I also withheld you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let her touch you. Now, therefore, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not restore her, know that you shall surely die, you and all of yours. Verse 8, so Abimelech rose early in the morning, called all his servants, and told them these things in their hearing. And the men were very much afraid. And Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? How have I offended you that you have brought on me and on my kingdom great sin? You have done deeds to me that ought not have been done. And then Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you have in view that you have done this thing? And Abraham said, Because I thought surely the fear of God is not in this place, and they will kill me on the account of my wife. But indeed, she is truly my sister. She is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. And it it came to pass when God caused me to wander from my father's house that I said to her, this is your kindness that you should do for me in every place, wherever you go. Say of me, he is my brother. And then Abimelech took the sheep, the oxen, the male, female servants, and gave them to Abraham and restored Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, She, or see, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. And then Sarah, he said uh, to her, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. Indeed, this vindicates you before all who are with you and before everybody. Thus she was rebuked. So Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, his wife, and his female servants, and then they bore children. For the Lord had closed up uh, the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Now, what I want you guys to catch some years later Okay, God passed the covenant promise onto his son, Isaac, which you guys can look up here in chapter 17, verse 18 to 21. It says, Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Then God said, No, Sarah, your wife shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael... I have heard you. Behold, I will bless him, and I will make him fruitful, and will multiply him exceedingly. And he shall beget twelve princes, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at the set or at the set time next year. So here's the promise of Isaac. Okay, and then Isaac, as you guys know, has Jacob, which we read about in chapter twenty-eight, the covenant given to him, Israel, right? Jacob, Israel, and his sons. Behold, the Lord stood above and said, I am the Lord of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Also, your descendants shall be as dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Think about that, guys. And we're about to get into Genesis, into the life of Joseph. Okay, and you guys know that he was favored, right? And he was not favored by his brothers, okay? And they sold him into slavery, and he's off to Egypt, okay? But he was blessed by the Egyptian pharaoh, as we're going to study and see, okay? And another pharaoh enslaved him, okay? Um, enslaved the Hebrews, actually. They ended up killing all the babies, okay, imprisoned the Israelites, and Egypt was laid waste and never recovered, okay, as a result of that. Um, Another example we see, the Moabites. You guys remember they hired a soothsayer to come and to curse the children of Israel? You guys remember they hired uh, Balaam to do that? 
Um, and God actually cursed the Moabites instead, right? Let's take a look real quick at Nehemiah chapter 13. Look at this up on the screen. It says, In that day they read from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people, and it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever come into the assembly of God because they had not met the children of Israel with bread and water, but they hired Balaam against them to curse them. However, our God turned the curse into what? A blessing, okay? God, again, being faithful to his word. And then one of my favorite examples, and you guys can turn to Joshua 2 at this time. How many of you guys are familiar with Rahab and her story? She is a great example of this truth, okay? She was a harlot there, a Gentile woman, okay? The Jews, she came to the Jews' aid there at Jericho, and as a result, she was actually spared death and she earned eternal esteem, which we're going to look at in a moment. But let's take a look together in Joshua chapter 2 at her story. I'll let you guys turn there. Okay, raise your hands if you have a smartphone Bible this morning. Okay, raise your hand if you're more spiritual and have a hard copy with you. <laughs> All right. I'll take another survey in a year or two and see where we're at. When these first came out, I used to judge people. It's just like, at church, it was like, what are you doing on Facebook while we're at church? Pastor, I'm on the Bible. Pretty cool, isn't it? Isn't it so cool? You know, I got access to 150 different translations on this little thing. So rad. Anyways, Rahab's cooler than a smartphone. Check her out. She's a rad sister. Now Joshua, Joshua too, the son of Nun. He actually had parents and just... His name was none. Anyways, he sent out two men from Acacia Grove to spy secretly, saying, go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went, and they came to the house of the harlot named Rahab, and they lodged there. And it came, or and it was told the king of Jericho, saying, behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. So the king of Jericho sent Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the country. Then the women took the two men and hid them. And so she said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And it happened as the gate was being shut when it was dark that the men went out. Where the men went, I do not know, pursue them quickly. For you may overtake them. But, verse 6, guys, she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them in the stalks of the flax, which she had laid in order uh, on the roof. And then the men pursued them by the road to the Jordan, to the fords. And as soon as those who pursued them had gone out, they shut the gate. Now, before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, okay? This is a Gentile woman, okay? But she knew what the God of Israel was up to. I know that the Lord has given you the land, that territory of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on, or were on the other side of the Jordan, Shion Gog, who you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did we remain any more courage in anyone because of you, for the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Now therefore I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I've shown you kindness, that you will also show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token and spare my father and my mother and my brothers and my sister and all they have and deliver our lives from death. So the men answered her, our lives for yours. If none of you tell this business of ours, and it shall be when the Lord has given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with you. And then she let them down by rope through the window of her house um, 
It was on the city wall. She dwelt on the wall, and she said to them, Get to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you. Hide there three days until the pursuers have returned, and afterward you may go your way. So the men said to her, We will be blameless of this oath of yours, which you have made us swear, unless when we come into the land you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window through which you let down and unless you bring your father your mother your brothers and all your father's household to your home so it shall be that whoever goes outside of the doors of your house into the street his blood shall be on his own head and we will be guiltless and whoever is with you in the house his blood shall be on your head if a hand is laid on him and if you tell this business of ours then we will be free from this oath which you made us swear. In verse 21, then she said, according to your words, so be it. And she sent them away and they departed and she bound the scarlet cord in her window. Check out Joshua chapter six here up on the screen. It goes on to tell us in verse 24 and 25, but they burned the city. They came back to Jericho to take the land. Okay, They burned the city and all that was in it with fire and on the silver and the gold and the vessels of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord and Joshua spared Rahab the harlot, her father's household and all that she had. So she dwells in Israel to this day because she, because, catch why, because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. To those whom bless you I will bless Rahab did that and we're also told check out Hebrews chapter 11 the hall of faith who do we find in the hall of faith mentioned Rahab a harlot Gentile woman really yeah why because she blessed Israel guys it says by faith the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace isn't that a cool Old Testament example guys I love it. You guys want to look at another cool one? Turn to Esther 3 now, okay? Esther is rad. It's the only book in the Bible that doesn't mention God, but God is all over the book of Esther. It is so cool. You guys remember after the exile for, of Israel from the promised land, the Jews in Persia were being threatened of annihilation by this ruler named Haman. Um, his sinister plan backfired, and Haman was... Um, hung on the gallows that were built really for Jewish necks. And I, I want to read this story because it's just as cool. Um, Esther 3 here. It says, After these things, King Araceras promoted Haman and the son of the Hamadatha, the Agite, and advanced him and set his seat above all the princes who were with him, and all the king's servants were within the king's gate, bowed and paid homage to Haman, for so the king had commanded concerning him. But Mordecai, he would not bow or pay homage. And then the king's servants who were within the king's gate said to Mordecai, why do you transgress the king's command? Check out verse 4. Now it happened when they spoke to him daily, and that he would not listen to him, that they told it to Haman, and whether Mordecai's words would stand, for Mordecai had told them that he was a Jew. So when Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow or pay homage, Haman was filled with wrath, but he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they had told him of the people of Mordecai. Instead, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews who were with throughout the whole kingdom of Erasuerus, the people of Mordecai. And in the first month, which is the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Erasuerus, they cast pure, that is, a lot, or the lot, before Haman to determine the day and the month until it fell on the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar. And then Haman said to King Erasuerus, there are certain people, speaking about the Jews, scattered and dispersed among the people, your people, in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from all other peoples, and they do not keep the king's laws. Therefore, it is not fitting for the king to let them remain. If it pleases the king, 
Let a decree be written that they be destroyed, and I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who do the work to bring it into the king's treasuries. So the king took his signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman, and the son of Hamadatha, the Agite, the enemy of the Jews. And the king said to Haman, the money and the people are given to you to do with them what seems good to you. And then the king's scribes were called on the 13th day of the first month, and the decree was written according to the, all that Haman had commanded, the king's uh, satraps and the governors who were over each province, to the officials, to all the people, to every province according to its script, and every people in their language. In the name of King Erasmus, it was written and sealed in the king's signet ring. In the letters, they were sent by carrier into the king's provinces and destroyed to kill and to annihilate all the Jews. Okay? Have we seen that happen throughout history too? Yeah. Right? Both the young and the old. If they're Jewish, little children and women, it didn't matter. And one day on the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, to plunder their possessions... A copy of the document was to be issued as law in every province, being published for all people, that they should be ready for that day. The carriers went out, hastened by the king's command, and the decrees was proclaimed by Shushan, the citadel, uh, and the king and Haman sat down to drink. But the city of Shushan was perplexed. Now, Jump up here on the screen. We're going to jump to chapter 5, verse 14. When his wife, Zeresh, and all the friends said to him, Let the gallows be made, 50 cubits high, in the morning, and suggest to the king that Mordecai be hanged on it. Then go merrily with the king to the banquet. And the thing pleased Haman, so he had the gallows made. Okay? He couldn't stand Mordecai the Jew. We're going to hang this dude. Now check out what happens in chapter 7. Now, verse 9 and 10. Herbanah, one of the eunuchs, said to the king, Look, the gallows, 50 cubits high, which Haman made for Mordecai, who spoke good on the king's behalf. It's standing at the house of Haman. And then the king said, Hang him on it. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he prepared for Mordecai. Then the king's wrath subsided. So Haman wanted them killed, and he ended up being killed. Okay, those who curse you, I will curse. And some of you guys might be like, hey, this is a pretty cool story. Yeah, if you don't know Esther, take some time later today and read through the whole story. It's awesome. But this is what we see throughout scriptures, guys. And there's Old Testament after Old Testament example of this Abrahamic covenant. God keeping his word, okay, keeping his covenants. So we see it throughout scripture. Even when Israel backslid from God, he would raise up a nation, okay, mercifully judgment coming to them, okay, or against her. But there was a purpose that they would turn back to him. But inevitably, guys, they took the opportunity to mock Israel and rejoice in her downfall. And so God turned and judged those nations without mercy. Okay? Whom the Lord loves, he chastens. Okay? Um, So look at the list, guys. We have Amalekites. We read of the Amorites in Scripture. Hittites. Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Gibbonites, the Midianites, the Edomites, the Flashlights, just kidding, the Babylonians, okay, uh, <laughs> Philistines, and there's others, okay? But have you guys been hanging out with any Amalies lately, Amalekites? You guys know a Hittite? Any Babylonians in the house? They're all gone, guys. They all came against Israel. God is faithful to his word. And here God has been faithful to his chosen people. He's going to preserve them. They're all gone. And here sits Israel today, thousands of years later. Let's look at another example. Exodus 14 this time. This is where the Bible reveals this idea of God's protection of Israel. Do you guys remember Israel was being pursued by the Egyptians in Exodus 
Okay, we're going to start Exodus, the start of this next year, so you guys can start reading ahead. It's going to be a great study. Why is that Obadiah? Oh. Well, anyways, again, we already shared this, but it makes the point once again for you and I. We see these examples. So Exodus 14, and there it is, okay? Check this out in verse 13 and 14. And Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more, or no more forever. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. And if you jump down to verse 25, it says, And he took off their chariot wheels, that they drove them with difficulty. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. And then if you jump over to chapter 15, the first three verses, Moses sings about this, and this is his song, guys. He says, Then Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord and spoke, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation he is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. And then later, guys, we have Moses encouraging Israel just before they crossed the Jordan into the land. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 30 says, The Lord your God, who goes before you, he will fight for you. According to do or to all he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. And then in chapter 3, verse 22, you must not fear them. For the Lord your God himself fights for you. Now, one last example, guys. Unto Joshua, okay? At the end of his life. You guys remember Joshua? Um, mighty man of God. Man of faith, right? Um, went and subdued the land with the armies of Israel as God uh, commanded him. But I love his farewell address to Israel and its leaders. Check this out with me. In chapter 23, verse 3, it says, You have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all the nations because of you. For the Lord your God is he who has fought for you. And then verse 8 goes on to say, But you shall hold fast to the Lord your God as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out from before you great and strong nations. But as for you, no one has been able to stand against you to this day. One man of you shall chase a thousand. And the Lord your God is he who fights for you. And he promised you. Therefore, take careful heed to yourselves that you love the Lord your God. Man, Joshua, long life, faithful, saw great victory that the Lord had accomplished for his people, Israel. And I love at the end of his life, this is it. Man, keep loving the Lord. He fights for you. You guys remember when King David faced the big giant, Goliath? Okay, Think about it. Nine-foot giant, huge, massive. David at this time was a boy, young teen probably. Okay, First Samuel 17, verses 45, 46, and 47 are some of the funnest passages in Scripture. But David was really banking on the promises of God when he was about to <laughs> take on this giant Okay, that was coming against the children of Israel. Um, his past record, he saw the faithfulness of God, and he's like, hey, God's been faithful. He's going to be faithful now. And he says in verse 45, Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin? But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And then all the assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword or spear, 
for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Wow. David knew the Lord, and he knew that he was faithful to his promises. The army of Israel stood there, scared of the giant, right? The Philistine army. And here, a young Israelite had faith in the promises of God. And you guys know the rest of that story. So when we think about the Moabites, the Ammonites, and the Muonites, they came to war against King Jehoshaphat in the southern kingdoms. We're going to Second Chronicles now. Chapter 20, verse 15, 17, and 29. It says, And he said, Listen, all of Judah, you inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid nor dismayed, because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Verse 17, you will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. And the fear of God, verse 29 tells us, was on all the kingdoms of those countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. And guys, it goes on and on and on in the Old Testament. That's why I love the Old Testament. God is faithful, okay? So God will preserve and protect his people. Amen? Amen. Now, we're going to look at some post-canon examples of God's preservation of Israel. And the pattern did not change after the close of the canon of Scripture. Okay? The New Testament, when it was written, the Roman Empire, okay, it loomed over a large portion of the world at that time. They were in charge, okay? Um, and they continued to flourish for hundreds of years from that point. You guys are familiar with Emperor Constantine, right? He came into power. He made Christianity the official religion of the empire. So the new church state alliance, they adopted some really anti-Jewish laws, okay? And soon after they did that, the great Roman empire crumbled, okay? And the church sank into a spiritual abyss, which brought them into what is called the Dark Ages, which we've heard about. And during that same period, Islam began to rise. The 11th and 12th centuries ushered in this so-called Holy Crusade. You guys ever read about those? They weren't really that holy. Anyways, they were dispatched by the popes and kings, Christian soldiers. They marched from England uh, to France to liberate Jerusalem, or from France they were going to liberate Jerusalem, but uh, <laughs> liberate meant to liquidate because the crusaders uh, want only to slaughter they, they tens and Thousands of Jews were killed during the Crusades, and Muslims also, okay, along the way, all in the name of Jesus Christ. They were not holy Crusades, guys. Um, what happened next as a result of that? Have you guys heard of the bubonic plague? Okay, that decimated much of Europe. England, France reamed their weapons against each other in what is known as the Hundred Years' War. A few centuries later, large numbers of Jews, they migrated uh, to Spain and there rose to prominent positions and they helped transform the nation into a world power. And that was known as the Golden Age of Spain. Um, but that came to an end also. However, the inquisitions against the Jewish people uh, had begun. So in the notorious and climatic inquisition of 1492, Christian Spain, guys, they expelled every Jew from their country. Wow. So what followed? I bet you guys can guess, right? The Spanish Empire plunged into a period of unrelenting political, military, economic, and social decline, never to reclaim any of that previous glory. Wow. So that brings us now to 20th century examples you guys know that approximately 500 years ago, um, Jewish people started settling in significant numbers in Great Britain, okay? 
they enjoyed favor and eventually the support from a small but very vocal Christian minority. These forerunners of Christian Zionism began taking the Bible literally. Hey, we believe this is true, okay? So they revived, with this revived insight into God's word, they understood the prophetic promises and blessings to Israel still applied to the literal sons and daughters of Jacob. In the late 1800s, British believers were playing a key role, a role in imparting uh, vision of practical help to European Jews of the day in return, uh, in their return in rebuilding of their ancestral homeland. So they set the stage really for this theologically, you know, for these Christian Zionists today, okay, and what we're seeing. But in the meantime, guys, as long as Great Britain treated the Jewish people kindly, things went quite well for her. The sun never sets on the British Empire, we're told, right? It's been said, for the kingdom spanned the earth, okay? They were taking over everywhere. But a turning point came at the aftermath of World War I, um, the international community, they delegated to Britain a sizable honor and responsibility of what was going on, and she was to supervise and to officiate the reestablishment of a sovereign Jewish state in the Middle East. Britain, however, took nearly 80% of the land given to her to hold in trust for the Jews and handed it over to the Arabs instead. Then, during and then after the Holocaust, she blockaded and remained 20% of, you know, the silver of the land in order uh, to reduce the Jewish immigration uh, to really just a trickle. That's all that was happening. And as a result, guys, millions of Nazi, you know, hunt, they hunted the Jews, um, and the Jewish people found no escape. Why? Because British policy, policy guys, shifted specifically to appease Arab fears for the sake of, you know, the petrodollar, the oil that was in the land. And as you guys know, Great Britain's empire is no more. They collapsed, guys. And likewise, we can look at Germany, okay? It was left in shambles, divided, humiliated after the Nazis, you know, generated you know jewish genocide so on a grand scale drama guys the 20th century really played out in a once you know formable you know soviet union okay throughout history the ussr uh documented reports of unbridled murderous anti-semitism made their way to the jewish communities really worldwide as a result of their thinking and treatment of the jews but the demand was made uh, for decades inside the Soviet empire and out, okay? Let my people go, okay? The communists stubbornly refused until suddenly a fearsome USSR fell on its knees, releasing from its choked and ex, you know, chokehold an exodus of nearly one million Jews, guys. Think about that. So those who curse you, I will curse, and to curse, if you guys recall, is means to stop or to make little. And we've seen this happen, guys, in recent history. So history records this to be the case for the Romans, the French, the Spanish, the British, the Germans, the Soviets. And some days, apart from repentance, guys, the Arab nations. So for a century, uh, their collective cry um, has not you know, been subsided at all. The cry of the Arab nations to this day. It was in the news this week, guys. The Zionist state must cease to exist, okay, or must be destroyed. That's their whole agenda. That's what they're all about. And you consider all the Arab nations, man, there's a lot of land over there, okay? And they're tripping out about these little piece of land and these Jewish people. Wow. So you're hearing the same cry right now, okay? that the Zion state must be destroyed. So just look at the outcome of this Arab-Israeli wars in the last century. Uh, the War of Independence. This is kind of fun to consider. Um, you guys know that May 14th, 1948, okay? That's the War of Independence. Egypt, we had Syria, 
Jordan, Lebanon, Iraq, um, they all invade Israel, uh, you know, that day, okay, coming against her. And Israel became a nation in a day. That day, 1600 in Tel Aviv, David Ben-Gurion uh, read the first proclamation of independence of the state of Israel for the first session of the provisional government. And while speaking, Tel Aviv, guys, was attacked from the air by uh, the Egyptian Air Force. The Jews, they were outnumbered 100 to 1. Think about those odds. 100 to 1, okay? David Ben-Gurion said, I felt like a mourner at a wedding, okay? The nation is born, and they're all coming against us immediately. So the invading army's intentions were clear. This will be a war of extermination in a monumentous a uh, massacre. Do you guys know what the outcome was? Within a few months, guys, the Arab armies were not only stopped, but they were expelled. The IDF, the Israeli Defense Force, they invaded Egypt, the Jordanian and Syrian territories. The Arab countries asked for a ceasefire with Israel. It was no larger than the day, okay, now Israel is larger as a result of all of this than the day that they were born, okay, just a few months earlier. Again, outnumbered 100 to 1. Who's fighting for them, guys? You guys can read about the war. There was a lot of supernatural things that they couldn't explain. Unreal. It was the hand of God, okay? Which brings us, how many of you guys have heard of the Sixth Day War, okay? 1967, that was June 5th to June 10th. Israel faces Egypt, Syria, Jordan, and expeditory uh, force from Iraq. But by the end of May, guys, these countries... Uh, combined, they had come together. They had 465,000 troops, 200 or 2,880 tanks, and 810 fighter aircrafts on the edge of Israel's borders. Okay, you know it was going down. What they were planning. So a blockade, Israel's only southern part, report there, uh, opening to the east. They're all there. These things clearly meant. And were inevitable. They're, they're coming to destroy Israel. Therefore, Israel was forced to take a preemptive strike. And the odds were once again so overwhelmingly that General Moshe Dayan read the story of David and Goliath to his men, right? Guys, <laughs> David said to the Philistines, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give you carcasses of the camp of the Philistines and the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And then all the assembly shall know that the Lord does not say with sword or spear, but the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Man, there's a giant coming after us. But man, God of Israel, he's going to fight for us. And you guys know the outcome, right? Israel defeated the giant, right? The armies of Egypt, Syria, Jordan, okay? And the little force from Iraq in six days. And finally able at that time to take the Temple Mount. Pretty cool. So it tripled their territory as a result of it too, guys. The Sinai Peninsula, East Jerusalem, the Golan Heights. As a result of them coming against them, they got more land. And then 1973, the Yom Kippur War. We had Syria and Egypt invade Israel on the Day of Atonement, the most holy day for the Jewish people. Hey, let's go destroy them. So with the support and the assistance of Iraq and Libya, Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, and five other countries all coming against her. You guys know what the outcome was? Israel defeated all those Arab nations. Pretty cool. The UN guys had to intervene to keep Israel from advancing all the way to Cairo, Egypt. They had to step in. So like Moses said, guys, to Israel thousands of years before in Deuteronomy 1:30 and chapter 2 verse or chapter 3 verse 22, 
You guys see, even the common observer can look at these amazing victories. This isn't by chance. Who are we to say that God is done with Israel? No, he is faithful to his promises, to his word, even to this day. And isn't it kind of fun to be alive right now? I mean, seeing these things come to pass right before our eyes, okay? It's amazing victories against impossible odds and believe that God is preserved and protected, or Israel's preserved and protected by God. Pretty awesome. But the Bible-believing Christian puts this together with the promises of Scripture and the examples of Scripture. He or she knows the Lord is fighting on behalf of Israel for his name's sake. Which brings us to point six. We only got two left. They're going to go quick now. When and why Israel loses. Do they always win every single time? No. But there's a reason, guys. There have been times where Israel lost in battle due to their disobedience and to the discipline of God. During those times, guys, they've experienced either a removal from the land, which you guys can see in Deuteronomy chapter 30, the first 10 verses there, okay? Or an expansion, retraction effect of the land. So depending on their obedience, this is something that we may witness, okay? Current conflicts that are going in uh, today in Israel. Do you guys know that they keep handing land over for the hopes of peace? Okay, Israel's trying to work <laughs> with their Arab nations, but the Arabs just want to utterly destroy her, and they keep giving land. Hey, we'll hand over the Gaza, you know, uh, Strip, the Golan, you know, the West Bank. We're going to keep giving. Um, and we know from Scripture, guys, that Israel will continually be challenged in the land until the second coming of Jesus Christ. Do you guys know when Jesus returns, where, he's, where is he returning to? Mount of Olive, right? Israel. He's going to rule and reign from Jerusalem, which I don't understand church history. God's done with the Jews. The land doesn't matter anymore. Well, our Lord and Savior is going to return and rule from there, and it's a pretty big deal. So, but one thing is sure, guys, Israel cannot be removed from the land completely, which brings us to our last point this morning. When and why Israel can't lose Israel cannot lose the war completely. So defining loss is this. Israel ceasing to be a nation isn't going to happen, guys, <laughs> which is stated by the Arabic, you know, Persian, Palestinian, Islamic. That's their goal, utterly destroy Israel, okay? And it hasn't that been the goal of Satan from the beginning of the birth of Israel to take her out? Yeah, because the promised Messiah would come through her and still being persecuted to this day i mean recent history is crazy guys so the following base is very basic very clear for you and i guys the reasons israel must be a nation and a land for certain end time prophecies because the bible still speaks about a lot of things not yet fulfilled we can study the scriptures and read so much about christ's first coming but concerning the second coming of christ there's eight times the amount of prophecies and so much of it comes around taking place there in Israel, okay? Um, and dealing with Israel specifically. We think of Matthew 24, verses 15 and on. We read of the temple. The temple needs to be built there in Israel because that's where the abomination of you know, desolation is going to take place by the Antichrist. We read of uh, Daniel 9, okay, that final week, Jacob's trouble, okay, verses 24, know therefore and understand, he says, he lays out very clearly what's going to be happening in the last days in Israel. Ezekiel 38 and 39, we know about the Magog invasion that's yet future. What are they invading? Israel. They got to be there, right? Zechariah 12, verses 1, 2, and 3, all nations are going to come against Jerusalem, Okay. And we even see that. We're the one nation that consistently stands with Israel. You guys can look at the news this last week. Okay? We wanted to step away. We no longer want to bless you. We no longer come alongside you to help you. And the list can go on. One last scripture this morning. And this is a passage of scripture that really got me hooked on Bible prophecy many, many years ago. And it had to do with Israel. Okay? My mom has gone to Israel, I don't know how many times now, four? Yeah, four times, okay? 
she went when I was a kid, and I'm like, she come back so stoked. She loved Israel. She loved the Jewish people. What's up with this? And then I remember in my own personal time reading through the book of Amos, and at the end of Amos, chapter 9, verse 14, it says, they will bring back the captives of my people Israel. They shall build the waste cities and inhabit them. You guys can look at pictures that are 70, 80 years old from Israel. It's rock and stone. That's it. There was nothing there. Wasteland. It's not today, guys. It's beautiful. They shall plant vineyards and drink wine from them. Everywhere we drove around Israel last year, a bunch of you guys came with us. Vineyards everywhere we drove. It was unreal. Even outside of the Dead Sea, nothing grows there. Okay, we got to sit down with a guy who got, he's got seeds that are 2,000 years old, plants that haven't been around, and they were able to make these plants come back to life 2,000 years older. In the Temple Institute, the people are going to rebuild the temple. This guy is making the oils that are going to anoint the temple from these plants that are 2,000 years. It's just amazing. And it's right there just outside of the Dead Sea where nothing grows. And he's got this huge vineyard of all these super, like, no other plants upon the planet right there where nothing grows. It's just amazing. Anyways, they shall plant vineyards and drink wine from them. And they're doing that. As small as Israel is, I mean, they are providing so much food to other nations. It's amazing, okay? My mom used to have a pet and garden store family. My grandfather had that. They sold a lot of tulips. How many of you guys love tulips? Okay, where do tulips come from? Holland. You guys know where Holland gets their tulips now? Israel, because they got the best ones in the world, okay? Anyways, they shall make gardens and eat fruit from them. Okay, this is happening. Verse 15, I will plant them in their land. This prophecy just got a hold of my heart. It's like, God, these people of yours were dispersed for 2,000 years. Okay, this was my grandparents' generation. You brought them into the land. They're established. My mom is now going there on trips. How cool is this? They are there. Prophecy being fulfilled right before my eyes. And from the land I have given them, says the Lord your God. And there's more that Amos speaks about concerning Israel in the last days. I encourage you guys to read on that. But we see this happening. And we're going to look next time at God's word prophetically concerning Israel. So what you can expect and how things may and must develop prophetically, guys, is going to be the subject of our next study together. But I hope that all of this, guys, laying some foundation. I know I took a little time this morning, but I want us to have a good foundation when it comes to understanding Israel because this is something that's not taught in most churches, which is a bummer because it's biblical. Were we in the Bible today? It's biblical. It's there. Okay, we need to grasp this to understand this, and we really need to form our understanding around Israel biblically. Okay, what does God have to say concerning her history, the future view as well? And that you guys can really begin to make sense of Israel and why she matters. And then to pray. This morning we shared Psalm 122 before we prayed. And we're told to pray for Israel, for the peace of Jerusalem. And guys, we know that perfect peace will not come until the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, returns to her. Um, and then everything that's going on, because you're going to see Israel, it's been hard. Have you guys gone, you know, two weeks without seeing something happening in Israel in the news? She's always in the news, always something happening. Um, we should know how to respond in light of what the Bible says, okay? Because there is a, definitely a progressive agenda today here in America, we who stand with Israel, and it's gaining steam, and it shouldn't be to any surprise because all nations, okay, all nations are going to be affected by Israel and are going to turn her back on her. So don't be surprised when we do. But as long as we're here, guys, I'm going to vote pro-Israel. I'm going to pray for Israel, okay? Why? Because it's part of God's heart. And it's good for us to have this understanding and this foundation when it comes to Israel and why she matters to our God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for these promises, these examples that you've set before us, Lord, to 
uh, really show us your faithfulness and your goodness. And we as uh, your people, your kids, Lord, you've called us to pray for Israel, and I would love to do that with these brothers and sisters of mine here this morning. God, we want to lift her up to you. We know that there are many uh, Jews today that don't walk um, in any faith of you. Many of them would call themselves atheists because uh, of just all the hatred towards their people over the years, the Holocaust. Um, Would you see, just let them see, Lord, that you are for them, that you haven't forsaken them, God. Because we're going to see next time, Lord, uh, you still have plans, God, and you're going to turn hearts back to you, and we're thankful for that. And we pray that day would happen uh, sooner than later. God, we know that when they see you return, God, they're going to see that you truly are the Messiah they've been waiting for. God, so we just pray for their peace today, that they'd be looking to you, the Prince of Peace. And we thank you for the grace that you've extended, Lord, as you promised, that through Abraham you would bless all nations. Thank you as Gentiles that we have a Savior, a Jewish Savior who is the Savior of the world. And thank you that whoever calls upon his name, that they will be saved. What a God you are. What a Savior. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this time this morning, Lord. Just show us, Lord, how all this stuff concerning Israel, how that applies to us thousands of miles away, Lord, removed, um, has implications today. God, just give us wisdom in how to walk in this truth. We ask in your name. Amen. Amen.